today. Uh, it is a great time to be in the house of the Lord this morning. We have uh, just gotten back from uh, nine of us traveled to the Rocky Mountains of Colorado with our church, Northwest Men, and uh, climbed a 14,000 foot mountain. And uh, it was an incredible journey, uh, an incredible experience. Dr. Brown, who led the expedition, uh, he's climbed 50 of these, 14ers. And he said after, after we were done, this was a little harder than I thought it would be. So that just gives you an idea of how hard it really was. And uh, I'll talk about it a little bit in the sermon today, but uh, it was a joy and privilege to uh, get to know some of these men in our church and uh, journey with them to the mountains to hear uh, and see all that God has created and hear from the Lord as well as we spend time together in his word and with one another. It's great to be with you, though, this morning. As you know, we have been working our way through the minor prophets. Um, we, are, we have undergone a challenge here at Northwest this year of preaching from every single book of the Old Testament, one text, and we're calling this series Christ in All of Scripture. We have three of the minor prophets left, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, and then we will venture into what is called the Ketavim, which is the other writings, and that's Psalms, Daniel, First and Second Chronicles, Proverbs, Song of Solomon, all of those fun texts that we will be preaching from. But in order, the reason why we're doing this is not only to see the scriptures as useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training us in righteousness, all of the scriptures, but also we're seeing Christ magnified through the prophets, through the Old Testament of how God will usher in his glory through the majesty of the cross of Christ. And what a what a journey it has been. I hope it has been such a journey as it is for me preaching these texts. Um, it has been a joy and privilege to look at books like Haggai, in which I really rarely ever study, but to look at the depth of the scriptures and seeing Jesus in the depth of the scriptures. So now the next three minor prophets, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, they all deal with post-exile Israel. Remember, God has allowed for the destruction of Jerusalem, its temple, the place in which God dwelt among his people, and now he's bringing dry bones back to life again. He's... By sending a remnant that is in exile in Babylon back to Jerusalem by the decree of Cyrus the Persian to rebuild the city and its temple. And they build the foundation of the temple and we, we see this in Ezra. And they have this huge celebration but something happens when they finish the foundation. They face the opposition. They face opposition from those in, around them that have been living there. They face opposition from the, the kings of Persia as well. 
And the temple building is shut down. So the foundation is there, and for the next 16 years, nothing happens at the temple of God. It stands ruined, not like it once was. And God sends the prophets in exile that God's people would not only return, but that he would be with them again and allow them to prosper again. You know the the famous verse in Jeremiah chapter 29. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. And then that verse that we all know very well, verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. God has not abandoned his people. He has sent them back. Verse 12, then you will call upon me and come to pray for me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I will restore your fortunes and gather you from the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord. I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. God is a God of promises and he keeps his promise to his people. And God is with them now that they have returned to the promised land of Israel, but the temple, the central place of worship, the place where God's presence dwelt among his people, the symbol of all of those things is not restored God sends the prophet Haggai and Zechariah to declare to the people, get to work, for God is with you. This is what it says in Ezra chapter 5 verse 1. Now the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Edo, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shittiel, and Jeshua, the son of Jehozadak, arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem, and the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. So this was their role as the prophets. Haggai's role as a prophet was to call them to the work of God. And they were there supporting it. So this is what Haggai says to the people, this book, when they're struggling to do the work that God had called them to do in rebuilding his temple. Now, if we recall, the temple was the place in which the presence of God dwelt among his people. God desires to dwell among his people. We see this over and over and over again throughout the Old Testament. Leviticus 26, 11, God says, I will make my dwelling among you and my soul shall not abhor you and I will walk among you and will be your God and you shall be my people. This is what God is telling his own people. And this, this recalls us back to the garden in which God walked with Adam and Eve. 
in the cool of the day. Now God wants to dwell with his people, Adam and Eve. Now he's telling us in Leviticus after, after the, the, the exodus of Egypt that he wants to walk with his people. He wants to dwell in the midst of his people. And so God says he will dwell in the midst of his people in a tent called a tabernacle. Because God's people, after the exodus, after God has released them from bondage of Egypt, the people would travel in tents to where? The promised land. Exodus 25, 8, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. And when they got to the promised land, they set up a, a, a king. And the king, in, in, after God's own heart, was named David. And he, he brought peace. And he, he set God's name upon a city. And it was called Jerusalem. And God made his place, his permanent dwelling, and placed his name in that city, the city of peace. Jerusalem. And they built the temple there. Solomon would be actually the one who built the temple on Mount Moriah in 1 Kings 8, chapter 10. And when the priests came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. So in essence... The neglecting to build the temple for the people of Israel meant neglecting the presence of God in their life. And this is where they find themselves when the prophet Haggai speaks into their world, into their life. And this is trusting the sovereignty of God in work. So let's read together Haggai chapter 2. If you'll open your Bibles to Haggai, if you can't find it, it's okay. It's on the screen behind you. I know it's a tough one. So it's at the, towards the end of the Old Testament. If you haven't found it already, you might just look on the screen. Haggai chapter 2 verse 1. We stand in honor of reading God's word here. Sorry. Um, Here we go. Verse 1. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shittiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet, now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while, 
I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. And the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace declares the Lord of hosts. You can be seated. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for speaking to us through your word. We thank you that the Old Testament has so many truths of the gospel that we need to hear for our lives today, for our hearts, open our minds, open our hearts, open our ears to hear and to respond in worship to our great God. From the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Mount Humboldt is 14,070 feet high. And um, the first day we got our camping gear on our backs. And uh, had our big packs. Maybe some of us carrying more than others. But uh, maybe 35 pounds or so of weights of tents and, and food and and clothing, and sleeping bags, and sleeping things that you sleep on, I don't know, mattress pad, I don't, I'm not sure exactly what all was in my pack, but it was heavy, and we um, went uphill on a gradual climb, about 2.5 miles, to which my son said to me, Dad, that, that sounds easy, um, only it's not so easy, all right? I'm going to say that it's not so easy with the terrain, the rocks, the uphill. It's a bit different than walking on a treadmill. Then we camped out for that night, got up early in the morning, the crack of dawn, and went to the top of the summit. Four hours straight up. As we got going, you began to look at what comes next in your path, right? And you look up, and I'm not going to lie, I thought to myself, I'm not going to make it. I definitely needed the other men with me. I, I thought to myself multiple times, just put one foot in front of the other. I, I just can't do it. My legs are too tired. I cannot breathe. I'm not sure if I'm hot or I'm cold, but I'm something. And it just looks too far away. And I thought to myself about halfway up when we get to the the, the ridge, like it's called the saddle. And the saddle part is like the ridge of the, of the mountain. And then you basically hike the ridge all the way to the top. And I got to the ridge and I thought to myself, well, the view looks good from here. Maybe that's all that I need. You see, Israel got back to the promised land. They had laid a foundation and then they stopped and went on with their life and they were thinking to themselves maybe what we've done is is good enough 
Maybe we'll just wait for another time. I mean, we've set up the altars and are sacrificing. Do you remember how glorious the old temple was? This is nothing like that. First Chronicles twenty two fourteen tells us what David did to prepare Solomon for the building of the temple. And I want you to read this so you have in the back of your mind how glorious the first temple was. With great pains I have provided for the house of the Lord a hundred thousand talents of gold, a million talents of silver and bronze, iron beyond weighing, for there is so much of it. Timber and stone too I have provided. To these you must add. You have an abundance of workmen, stone cutters, mason, carpenters, all kinds of craftsmen without number, skilled in working gold, silver, bronze, and iron. Arise and work. The Lord be with you. Well, it's pretty easy to work when, you, when you're set up like that. They don't have that in the days of Zerubbabel, in the days of Joshua. They aren't set up. On the mountain I was thinking, maybe, maybe I should have trained a bit more. Maybe if I was a bit younger. Maybe if I had more experience in hiking these mountains. And yet God was saying to Israel and to me, just put one step in front of the other. Work. For your small, minuscule work, I will turn into something great. And sure enough, you reach the top of the mountain. You see, God wants to do that in our lives. He wants to take small steps of obedience in your life today and turn it into something glorious for his glory. If only we would seek first the kingdom of God, we would see the glory of God in our life. Look at verse 1 with me. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shittiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? This is our first point this morning. God's people keep God's glory as a central aspect of their life. God's people keep God's glory as the central aspect of their life. You see, one of the problems with the people at this time was the glory of God was not the central aspect of their life. God's name being made known among the nations was secondary. And it was shown by the current state of the temple. For a variety of reasons, the temple lay as nothing in the eyes, in their eyes, while their own houses were being made glorious. Look at chapter 1 with me. Haggai sets this up. And in verse 2, it says, this, thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time 
for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown so much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. You see, the people were interested in how nice their house was. but They weren't interested in the worship of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I know we don't really worry about that in our day and age, right? That's not a problem for us. Maybe the Bible's a bit outdated. No one in their right mind would be worried more about their home than the glory of the living God filling the earth, would they? You see, the struggle is real. For even us, the same struggle that the days of the God's people in Haggai is the same struggles that we face. That guy says you're so focused on your life, your house, setting up your own glory that God cannot bless you. I love how it says that your work is in vain. It says they gather wages and fill it with a bag of holes. Have you ever felt like that? You work so hard only for your car to break down. And you have to go to the mechanic and pay him a lot of money. And then, then your, your plumbing breaks down. You call the plumber and he, he takes your arm and your leg. And then by the time you're done, the money you, you, you've made just feels like you're putting it in a bag with holes. God's saying, how can... You, my people, work all this time on building your own kingdom. And how can I bless that? You, you've probably heard the passage which Jesus says in Matthew 6.33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Do you know that God wants to bless you? He does. Like a good father who gives his son a fish instead of a scorpion, he wants to give you good gifts. Most importantly, his Holy Spirit. And yet, when we're so focused on ourself and our needs, God sometimes helps us to reprioritize our life. My mom does this thing every uh, Thanksgiving with our family. I'm going to do it for you real quick. I think David gave me extra time today, so I'm going to do it for you. But it, if you can see, great. If you can, I'll explain it. But you take this, this uh, bottle. It's representative of your life. And you take these big nuggets, these acorns, which are representative of God things or spreading God's glory throughout the earth, what God has called us to do. And then you have this bowl of rice, which is everything else. And so let's just say 
you decide that you're going to fill your life with everything else first. Well, I got to take my kids to the ball game and I've got to I've got to go and work really hard and and I've got to make uh all these things happen and 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 I just I just have to make more money and I just I just have to do my shopping and I've got to what else do you guys do? I don't know what you do but you do it and you just keep doing it, right? And it just goes and goes and goes until and I'm making a mess up here, but it is it is normal, right? And I've got to do my exercise and I've got to do this and I've got to do my kids events and I've got to do, you know, what, what, what I do. I've got to read my books and I've got to do these things. And then, oh, by the way, I'm, I'm going to go to, to hear the word of the Lord preached. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to go worship. I'm, I'm going to go, um, I'm going to go share the gospel with my neighbor. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to do my quiet time. I'm going to disciple someone. I'm going to give my, my tithe to the Lord. And all of a sudden, my life is just overflowing and I have no room for everything. That's kind of where they're at right now in their life. It's not blessed by God. It's not honored by him. And yet, if we put God first in our life, if we put the things that he wants from us instead of the things that we desire, maybe our house or the things of God first, and we put what God has designed for us first, guess what? We then have to take the kids to school. We have to maybe do some practice with the kids. I don't know. We got to read our book, maybe even take a vacation. Not horrible things in the kingdom of God. We got to do our shopping. I mean, we've got to do all of these things that, that, uh, that we have to do in our life. We got to fix our house up, even fixing our house. We've got to do all of these things. And when it comes down to it, I'm way better the second time on this than I am the first. Just say that. And when it comes down to it, we have enough space in the kingdom of God to do everything we need to do. You know, honestly, that's hard. It's hard to put the kingdom of God first in our life. It's hard to put God's glory first. It's like, a, it's like a wedding or something. They're throwing rice. Apologize for that. Sometimes you don't plan things out as well as you need to. But look at verse 3 with me. Who is left among you who saw the house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? You see, the f- people's sin is, has caused the first house to be torn down. And now God's house is seen as nothing. You see, some, some, some were there who had seen the prior house that Solomon built in all its glory. 
the temple, the place where God dwelt, and, and it should be again. But what do you see? It's like nothing. The temple in all its glory is now just a foundation. The people are discouraged, and their discouragement has led them to think maybe it's not important. We aren't sure if this matters, this God thing. Maybe, maybe it's not time. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you've thought that your work in the kingdom of God is insignificant. Your giving or your investment in the lives of people. And if you think that, even right now, the word is for you this morning. And now God gives them a charge. Look at verse 4. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, Son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I'm with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. This is point number two this morning. God will be with you in your work for his glory. God will be with you in your work for his glory. There's a book out by Kevin DeYoung called Just Do Something. A liberating approach to finding God's will or, this is the title of the book, it's continuous here, or how to make a decision without dreams, visions, fleeces, impressions, open doors, random Bible verses, casting lots, liver shivers, writing in the sky, etc. That's the title of the book. It's exciting. Basically, the idea is pursue the character of Christ in obedience to the word of God, and he will give you the wisdom you need to make proper decisions for your life. Here's a quote from the book. At the rate some of us are going, we will be exploring our future career at 30, entering adulthood at 40, trying to find ourselves at 50, questioning everything again at 60, pondering a career move at 70, wondering what we were made for at 80, and still waiting to discover God's will at 90. And then we'll die never having done much of anything. If we have done something, almost anything, really, faithfully and humbly, and for God's glory for all that time, we could have made quite an impact. But if we do nothing, because we're always trying to figure out the perfect something, when it comes down to show what we did for the Lord, we will have nothing. End of quote. You see, this is what was happening to the people. They had nothing to show for their work, and God is calling them back to the task of the work for the glory of God. It's not good enough. This temple isn't like the former temple. God's saying, I'm there. I am in the temple. I am with you. Work. Remember the Garden of Eden? The task that Adam was given in the garden was to work it and to keep it. The same task given to the Levites who were to work and keep the tabernacle and later the temple. Two words, work, or sometimes translated minister, and keep, or sometimes translated guard. 
This is what God had told Adam and those who would minister in the temple. He tells to his people who would rebuild his temple, work. And then he tells them why they should put their hand to the plow. Because I am with you. My spirit remains in your midst. Just as the days when Moses came out of Egypt, when he led the people in the, in the, in the cloud of fire by night, cloud by day, God is with his people. Just as the days of Joshua leading his people around the walled cities of Jericho when he says, Moses is dead. Be strong and courageous, for the Lord your God is with you. He is saying that to Zerubbabel and Joshua and all the people. The God of creation who created the universe, the Lord of hosts, by his spoken word, he is with you in your building. Oh, church, may we learn from this. Not only God has God called you to a work, but it is a holy work. It's not a work for yourself, but that the glory of the Lord may fill the earth. That every tribe, tongue, and nation would know the good news that the Lord came to save and that his salvation has come through the name of Christ. And that his presence and his spirit are now living among his people through the blood of Christ in which he gave his life on the cross. Verse 6, for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. You see, God is going to supercharge their work. He's going to supercharge your work. But he invites you to the work. If it looks insignificant, it's because it probably is insignificant. Yet God is going to make it great. God shakes the world to rebuild the house of the Lord. He raises up King Darius, most likely influenced by Daniel, to open the king's treasure to rebuild the temple. Amen? Ezra chapter 6, verse 7. Let the work on this house of God alone. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews rebuild this house of God on this site. This is after 18 or so years of nothing happening. Moreover, I make a decree regarding what you shall do for these elders and the Jews for the rebuilding of the house of God. The cost is to be paid to these men in full and without delay from the royal revenue, the tribute of the promise of beyond the river and whatever is needed, bulls, rams, sheep, burnt offerings to the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, oil, as the priest at Jerusalem require, let that be given to them day by day without fail, that they may offering pleasing sacrifices to God of heaven and pray for the life of the king and his sons. 
God shakes the nations to bring in from the storehouses the money to rebuild his temple. But before all that happens, he says, go and do the work. I will supercharge it, right? God is with his people in their work for his glory. Take the next step, church. Look at verse 7. Continuously, he says, And I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace declares the Lord of hosts. This is point number three this morning. God takes our small work and makes it glorious. God takes our small work and makes it glorious. To think that you and I somehow by our work could do something to build the kingdom of God is what we would like to call pride. Okay, we can do nothing apart from Christ. But yet, this is what the God of the universe has called for us to do, is to go make disciples of all nations. And he takes what seems to be small and minuscule, almost like a mustard seed, and he grows it into something large and glorious for his glory. God tells his people, this work that looks minor and looks as if it's nothing, I will make it so much more beautiful and glorious than ever before. Now what is he talking about here? Is he talking about this temple? Probably. I think he's talking about a little bit more than just this temple. And how does this apply to us, his church, today? Let's think of it this way. God desires to dwell with his creation. He wants to establish his kingdom on the earth. So back in the garden, his presence is with Adam and Eve, and he tells them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Establishment of his kingdom, his presence among his people. Then God shows his salvation to his people in the Exodus, and he comes to dwell among his people in the tabernacle. And then he sets his name upon the city of Jerusalem to build the temple and his glory fills the temple. And upon his city, upon his name, upon his people, and he dwells in their midst. In this place called the temple, the center of worship of the great God of the universe. But something happens. The people set up idols even within the temple of the Lord. They worship other idols and his glory leaves the temple. People go into exile. It's destroyed. And now the people have come back to the place in which God's 
presence dwelt among his people at one time. And they're called to work for the glory of God in hopes that it would fill the earth again. But by building this building, we know that God's glory was not going to fill the earth by the building. It was not God's ultimate plan. You see, God's glory would then dwell among his people in another way so that his glory could fill the earth. Let me read to you what the writer, the the disciple, the apostle John wrote in John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, God's presence would come in a more glorious way to fill the earth. He was never confined to just a building, and even Israel and the prophets understood this. The presence of God would dwell with his people in a body. Not a building. His name was Jesus. You see, Jesus called his own body the temple of the living God. John chapter 2, verse 19, Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. And because of his death upon the cross, guess what happened? The temple curtain was torn. In two, and the presence of God would now fill the earth with his glory. How? Through his people, the church of the living God. So his disciples would wait and tongues of fire would come down upon the apostles. The Holy Spirit would now dwell in God's people, his church, the temple would be filled, would fill the earth with his glory and his presence through his church. Let me, let me read some things for you just so you can connect these. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. He is speaking of the church as the temple of the Lord. God's glory filling the earth. Through the cross of Christ 
And he does it through his church. If you, if you thought otherwise, he gave us one more. 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you, plural, it's plural there. Do you, plural, do you, church, not know that you are God's temple and that the God's spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. You, plural, you, the people of God, are God's temple. In which God's presence comes to dwell in so that his glory can fill the earth through you. Work. Church, God has called his people to work, to build his church, God's dwelling place upon the earth, that the kingdom of God may fill the earth. It's a beautiful picture. God's glory filling the earth, the temple torn in two, his presence now upon his people. Northwest Baptist Church is 92 years old. Some have seen the glory days of Northwest. Many have seen the glory days of Northwest. Some have seen the days of Solomon, in which the church was flowing with money. Thousands of people coming in our doors on a weekly basis. They remember when Northwest Baptist was the Baptist church of Oklahoma City. And you can relate to this scripture. And I believe God wants us today as a church to be faithful in the small things. To work by putting one step in front of the other. Because the task seems great. I'm not going to lie to you. We've made great strides in the last four years. God has done miracles all along the way. But we are not going to stop now. We are going to take one step of faithfulness to our God and work for his glory. Because he is here among his people. And he will give us what we need to advance his kingdom to the end of the earth. Are you willing to take that one step today? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for trusting you with our time. With our efforts. With our money. With everything that we have. Father, our world seems so broken right now. Everything around us seems to be pointing us away from you, from your word, from obedience to your word. And right now, Father, you are calling us back to be a people who are obedient with one step. And Father, that may be one step in, in marriages, the husband steps up and says, I'm no longer going to look at pornography. 
Maybe one step in ministry is someone says, I'm going to give my tithe for the first time. Maybe one step to go to the neighbor and say, I'm a Christian. Can I pray for you? Maybe one step to go overseas to an unreached people group and share the gospel there. Maybe a step of, of taking a step and saying, I want to know the Lord. I want to know him deeply. I'm going to open my Bible and read it. It may be a step of discipleship and saying, Lord, I need someone to disciple me. Pastors, I need someone to disciple me. Send me someone to disciple me. Lord, there's many steps that need to be taken today. And we ask, Father, that if there's anyone in this room that needs to take a step of faith and trusting Jesus as Lord and Savior, that they would do that as well. But we pray that we would all take a step. That we would not look at the task too great. But say, Lord, just help me to be faithful today. Lord, we thank you and praise you for this church. What we see, your spirit amongst your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now's the time to respond if you'll stand. There'll be pastors up front. They can pray for you. You can pray to the Lord at his altar as well. It's a time to make a step. Would you respond to the Lord where he's calling you?